Hey, what's good, people? This is the Option Podcast. I'm Jason DeBellius. That's Sarah Stratton. This is episode 105, and the episode starts right now. What's up, people? You've asked, you've asked, and now you shall receive. Because for me, I've got to give the people, give the people what they want. Sarah Stratton, what's up? What is up? I ain't got to work on my karaoke skills, apparently. <laughs> yeah, listen. There are levels to that, okay? <laughs> Listen to me, you Olympian. <laughs> you yeah, the people don't levels. want that. The people <laughs> don't want my singing, so yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I know you've been following the, uh, uh, we're following the Olympics probably as much as I was, right? I was. And you as an avid, um, and we're going to go all over the place, so let me steer the wheel a little bit, and I promise I won't drive us okay. off the cliff, okay? I promise, right. okay? We, we I'm don't trusting to... you, which I don't know yeah. if that's a good thing. I don't know either, but but we got, but here we are just the same. <laughs> all right. For volleyball, skirt! Um, so how about the, um, let's, because you're both play, you're both an indoor and an outdoor player. I understand you play, you play a little middle blocker, but but it was predominantly beach, right? Yeah, I mean, I played. I didn't really play that much indoor. I played a little bit, like after after high school, and you know, I was going to junior training camps when I was eighteen, and all these twelve year olds because we're at the same level. I was just starting, but um, I pretty much got to beach early. And when I went back to Australia, when I was playing beach. I ended up doing some indoor. Oh, and I played for the Las Vegas Vipers in the semi-pro indoor league over here, like way back in the nineties. So. Oh, that's cool, the Vipers. Yeah. But, but basically, predominantly beach. I was not a a solid mm. indoor player. No, but let's. When the women, there was a big thing happening. Look, April and Alex won, right? Eighteen mm -hmm. won. They were the heavy favorite a year ago. They were heavy favorite two years ago, right? Them in Canada. Uh, and sometimes Brazil were affectionately 1A, 1, 1A and 2, right? You know, Rebecca, she had breakfast that morning, stuffed herself with some eggs and bacon. You know, she, you know, she, you know, she could win the gold too. But Beach did what they were supposed to. Indoor women. I mean, I'm just going to jump in there Please. because I think that actually the beach, I thought it was wide open because yes, okay, a lot of Americans have this idea that Americans are going to win everything. And people who don't follow really closely. Oh, not me. Maybe, Go ahead. Sorry. But people who don't follow, follow closely would have just expected the Americans to win. And they were definitely a favorite, but not a like heavy favorite. Because, I mean, how many different teams won FIVB tournaments that year? I mean, yeah. the Aussies won one. The, um, the other, you know, Kelly Clayson Sponsor won two. Duda I mean, and Agatha, right? Uh, won twice. Yeah. So, um, Clay's and Sponsor, yeah, they went straight Jakari's mode and won like and won <laughs> two four stars. I yeah. yeah, 
So I actually, I watched the final with Wendy Jones. I, I was like, it's way more fun to watch. When you have kids, you tend to do a lot of stuff after kids go to bed and everything. And my kids are older now, so it's easier. And I was like, I don't want to sit on my couch and watch it by myself. So we watched it together. And I wore my, um, I pulled out my, one of my Olympic shirts from 2000 and wore that. So I had my Aussie stuff on and she had, well, she didn't really wear American stuff, but um, I, I mean, I was happy for both whoever won it wasn't as good of a game as i expected um that i was delighted i mean april you know april played when i was playing i remember when she came out and beat us uh in her first tournament and i was like oh my god who are these upstarts (laughs) you know with this bomb serve but um april's great and then i played with angie for a year and a half with angie acres who coached them so that was it was really fun for me to see her win Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Stratton, sorry, 2000 Olympian, got to mention that, got to ho- got to play host for her own home country, which is like a dream, which is like a dream thing. <laughs> uh, just had to, I had, I had, to, I had to plug that in and then, and then come back to this. You're right, because the last three times the Aussies faced that, the um, uh, Alex and April, they'd won two of the last three. And one yeah. of them was ugly. One of them was in Cancun. I mean, beat the brakes off of them. Um, but that, I think that was the one they won the whole thing. They kind of like hit their stride. They won that last one in um, Cancun, Mexico. And I totally agree with you. For I mean, for I think in 2019, before the world went to hell, we were looking at one and one A. And then, like you said, when things started to come back, Duda and Agatha. Like Duda could be a world beater and could be like do do like uh, the next tournament. So I, I wasn't, uh, you know, she, she, she could win, but I was like, I'm not putting no money on that one. You know, um, April, uh, uh, Sponsel and Clays, who I thought were competitors, but not winners, uh, made a liar out of me. Right. They won, they won two, uh, two of those um, tournaments to a four star. And, and like you, like I said, went straight dragon mode. They just said, it was like Game of Thrones. They just said Jakaris and just burn, and the dragons just burned down the whole village. That's what I described it as. They're so, fun to watch. I think a lot, of, like them and the Aussies too, like I, I love all this creative play. Mm-hmm. And I think the college system, and actually some of the Australians were doing it. And I think some of the, um, some of the international men's teams and women's teams have been doing it for a few years, but this way more creative offense with the over on twos and actually using that as a weapon mm-hmm. like not just oh it's it's not just the option right no it's like we are deliberately doing this because they're not ready for it or the, how do you defend both you know how do you defend a hard hit anywhere on two as well as being ready for the on three it's true yeah i i personally thought kelly went a little too much into the well on that so i have a general rule about hitting on on two because as an indoor setter, I, you know, as a front row setter, I was always, my, I mean, I was, I'm left-handed, so I was always trying to hit over, uh, find ways to disrupt the defense, the outside blocker coming in. But for me, as a general rule, like if I don't see, if I don't see the middle blocker in my peripheral vision, like at least in the corner of leaving or whatever. Um, the only exception is power. Like good things happen in beach volleyball when you hit the crap out of it, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't. I'm not gonna be out there poking at something that I don't see. And I thought she did that a little too much, you know. And um, and that yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a it's you use it as a choice, mm-hmm. but you don't. You know, if it's not working, you don't keep doing it. It's the same when you're hitting. When you're the third hit, you know, you don't do the same thing over and over if it's not working. No, so. That was beach. And uh, did you follow indoor at all a little bit? I did. I, I was, watched some please, of it. Please. I was 
Sorry, you're going to say something. <laughs> I, no, I mean, I watched, I followed, it's, it was hard. You know, life is busy. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I would pull it up and I'd watch as many as I could. I watched as many games as I could. Mm. I definitely saw the last few games. Um, it was super fun. And years ago, I had, I had had a great conversation with Karch about coaching, about indoor coaching, well, just coaching in general. And we talked about parenting and stuff like that and about how, about giving the giving the players autonomy, you know, and just and building the connection, building the relationships, you know, within and within the team, and also like with the coach and the team, and and just sort of building that kind of family and the trust. So it was really heartening to just see how much it meant to him. And one of the things that I noticed too, I don't know if you saw this, like after after they won, and the girls came off, and he said to them, "You did it! You did it!" Like he didn't say we did it. And I thought that was key because he's like, I'm here. And this is the thing that I'm learning. You know, I'm doing a master's in positive psychology and coaching psychology. I have one semester to go. But in coaching, you talk about this idea of getting the best out of whoever it is you're coaching. And but them, it's more like it's like, what do you do to help them get the best out of themselves? And so as a coach, that's what he was doing. And he's not taking credit, even though he has a lot of credit to take, he's not taking credit. He facilitated their growth and their performance, but it wasn't his to own. And I thought that was so admirable because how many coaches will be like, hey, I'm the, I'm the greatest. This was all me. They would never have done it without me. But In the South like, Bay. <laughs> oh, totally. But he's like, this is yours. Like, I'm so grateful that I was along for the ride and I could have some small part in it, but this was yours. Yeah, I, I, um, when I interviewed for, a, a, this is random, like a college interview, just for like a head coaching job. I coached um, NCAA for 12 years. They asked me what my greatest strength was. I told them I personalized my work. Like in, the job doesn't stop when I, I leave the court. I'm, I'm, I'm emotionally invested. I want these good things for these kids. And they asked me what my weakness was. And Karch might appreciate this, and so will you. I personalize my work. It's the same thing. <laughs> my, my strength and my weakness. It hurts too much to want something for someone who works so hard and put in all that time. And then and then for them to face that kind of disappointment. You know, it it, it hurts way too much. And a Karch, who's a... a who we both know is this uber big competitor had to find a way to compartmentalize the grief and frustration because uh, um and just say hey i'm not a i'm not a player anymore you know i'm a coach they 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 need sometimes especially for what well, more for men than women they need to see strength and leadership women is more strength through camaraderie and emotional investment in each other the studies show mm -hmm. uh, um but he knew having to having to show that poker face and some of these disappointments lead all that led up to this victory was something to help carry him through. And when you see someone break down like him and, and cry like that post-match interview, you know it's real. You know it's real. Because Karch has always tried to emote um strength and leadership because he knows he carry he carries the weight of being the best player to ever play the game. Uh, um indoor and beach. Um, in right indoor and three three out of four times UCLA two gold medals uh, um, numerous world championships and then and then hit the beach he was just getting started first gold medal so he's so he knew as a coach people are car he's carrying a lot of weight that he, uh, some of it 
maybe undeserving, right? He's still like he's still a person. He's not like this machine. He's human. But, He'd but, be the first to admit it. But to see that Sarah, to see that man's face. No, this is the only reason why I ever brought up um, indoor volleyball because I know Beach. We're going to talk more more to our wheelhouse now, uh, Beach. But I knew because you're, we're both kind of old school that we would we would really appreciate that post game speech and just how he couldn't even like. He was so emotional. He couldn't even like put his word. He couldn't even put words together. I uh, didn't, didn't didn't you didn't we cry for that guy a little bit in a oh, good yeah, way? It was lovely. It's like I mean, I just seeing how much it meant to them, mm-hmm. to all of them, and him particularly. But just it was yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, God, I'm about to cry right now just talking about it. And the girls, even a day later. They're still crying. They're getting the gold medal. They're still crying. They're they're like whatever. They're still trying to take it all in. And and I guess the point I was trying to make is when, as a competitor, uh, as a longtime competitor like yourself, when you put in all this work, and all this sacrifice, you don't you know you I mean, you lose relationships. Your boyfriend leaves. Is like it's like you already got a boyfriend. I'm out. You know <laughs> volleyball. So, and you you. You put in your best and then sometimes you, you win and then sometimes you put in your best and you lose and you're like, is this, should I be doing this? Am, am, am I good enough? And all of these things, sometimes it's sometimes a decade, sometimes two decades that lead you to this moment. If I were, I, there's no words for me to describe for people that don't understand that. Because the, 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 there's certain people that play volleyball recreationally, they're volleyball enthusiasts. There's some people that compete and they're like, oh, the hell with this. This is too much. I, this ain't going to be my 24-hour experience. Uh, um, that's what I got out of it. And, it. and I felt like they, Sarah, I felt like they won for every team that won the silver the bronze in 2016 that was worthy of the gold that mm-hmm. won the silver that they were that team was worthy of the gold and that team in 2008 that also won the silver that was worthy of the gold uh not 92 bronze uh 84 silver the women's program has never won a gold you know right so and this is the thing you know that so many things have to come together to win because yeah i remember i think it was um I was Bodie Miller. I remember the skier. So Bodie Miller, I remember hearing him interview. I think it was on like the Today Show or something during one of the Olympics. And he said, he was like, you know, I have had runs that I thought were kind of crappy where I won a gold medal and some of the best runs of my life that I didn't. And so he said, I don't look to that. So for him, it was all about his best performance. And I think like you kind of, it takes a little bit of luck as well. Like it's not just, hey, we put, you said deserving of a gold medal, like worthy of a gold for, you know, bronze and silver and whatever. Wasn't to be because things didn't align. Like it didn't. And you think about all these teams that have won tournaments, we're talking about on the beach, like have won tournaments that year, that everything aligned and they happen on that day in that tournament. And that's the thing is I think at the Olympics, it is a snapshot of, how that particular tournament went and yes there's a lot of not i mean not every team can win but those teams are all at a really high level yeah and so there's a lot to be there's a lot to having that freedom to risk to be able to go for it and not be holding there's this idea of like putting too much weight on it like you can't this is this is where it comes back to the psychology of it right this idea that your self-esteem can't be too tied up with your performance because if it is you don't there's that tightness like 
oh, if I lose, I'm not okay. And I'm only okay when I win. Like we can't have that. I mean, you see a lot of, you see a lot of top performers who do have that, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not healthy. Like speaking of mental health, right? It's not healthy for anyone. And so, I don't know, I feel like they do need to have that freedom to risk and that excitement to go for it and to get, they will get over it. Like when they lose, they're allowed to grieve. And and actually, interestingly, Jason, I remember you posted something in one of the, um, there was kind of a controversy a little bit, where you posted in one of the groups on Facebook mm-hmm. about, I think it was one of the guys. Had Michael, been, it was Michael Christensen. Yeah, he was crying after they lost. Right. And you were kind of like, man up, you know, you need to be strong. You don't, you don't deserve to hold, you know, hang your head low or whatever it is. And to me, I feel like when you've put so much on the line, like you talk about so much sacrifice, you're working so hard. This is the one you're excited and you get to where you actually don't make it. And so then the dream is over. Like I remember, sorry, I'm jumping around here. Sorry about that. This is the option option podcast. (laughs) This is ADHD. I'm telling you, (laughs) but the, but the fact is, like when you're when you lose and you put everything in there, you have to have an opportunity to grieve. And then once you grieve, you come back. Yep. And it's not about pretending that it didn't mean anything to you. Right. But it's about, hey, that did mean something to me. Mm-hmm. They really did mean something to me. This dream that I had for maybe a decade, you right. know, at least for four years mm-hmm. of winning an Olympics is over. And it's a funny thing about the Olympics. I remember talking to someone about the difference between the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony at the Olympics. At the opening ceremony, everyone is equal. Everyone's equal. All the athletes, you're marching in and everyone's super excited and it's a level playing field. Everyone's like, oh my God, I might have the tournament of my life. I might have the performance of my life. I could be a medalist. Everyone's feeling like that. And at the end of the closing ceremony, you've got the, the haves and the have nots, like the people who were so happy with how they went and the people who were disappointed because the dream that they had of like, maybe, maybe this could be the time they don't have it. Right. I look for me, um, defending myself a little bit, my exact words on, on that Facebook post was I said, hey, um, you pick your freaking head up. Um, don't, 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 don't put your head down, stand tall, like the man, like the man we know you are. Those are my words, meaning that if you have to cry, then cry. You don't, you don't have to worry about people seeing your tears. That's, that's where people took the whole man thing, right? And took man and use, and I, I felt like a little bit, you know, I could have worded it differently, but I also felt like people use that, that thing as a straw man fallacy. They use that, that the whole, the whole man thing. Like, it's okay. I, I mean, so many posts, it's okay for a man to cry. And I'm just like, yeah, it's okay for a man to cry. All I'm saying is that he looked like there, there is a process, right? You, you, you need some time to yourself. And then after that, you stand tall. And right. I, I was under the impression that everyone knew, knew what I thought. Don't keep, I think people, I, what I was trying to say was don't keep your head buried in the sand in some kind of unfounded shame. 
There's nothing, there is nothing for that man to be ashamed of. That man is, the, in our opinion, if you followed men's volleyball, he was the best setter in the world. And this is not just the United, you know how the United States, they think they're the best at everything. Right. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> look, I, look, I'm gonna be the first one to say Taylor Crabb is not even top five defender, all right? Cause I, cause I, I, I watch things outside of the United, the United States. Taylor, you're my brother. Uh, maybe not my brother, you're my dude, but no. Um, but everyone was saying Michael Christensen's the best setter in the world. He can only do, he can only take care of things that he can control. They were out of system 70, probably 70% of the time. And this includes like down ball free balls that they chose to pass to the 10 foot line to a setter that can hit with both hands on two, that can disrupt the defense, that can have the outside blocker pick up his 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 on two so he could back set to Matt Anderson out of D zone or even run a back one or run or just run a, a, a front one, let the middle wrist away where that blocker's going up and down, that outside blocker's going up and down. That's just the X's and O's of volleyball that I was like, no, dude, you, uh, dude you're sad now, but you pick your freaking head up. You know, and stand and stand tall like the man, not a man. The the man, the man we know you are. So um, I'm only defending myself a little bit, but not a lot because I could have worded it differently. If I if I if I worded it differently, I wouldn't have got so many posts like that. So obviously something's up. You well, know? and I, I think the I think the issue is that I think that was right afterwards. Yeah. You know, and you said he's allowed to you know he's allowed to cry and have his yeah. moment and then picked his head up. And yep. I think this was right when he was having his moment. Yep. And he will pick his head up. And I don't, I suppose the question is, is what we're interpreting as his head down as right. meaning. Like, is it, I'm ashamed, but I don't know that it was. I think it was disappointment. And okay. that's the difference is being able to say, hey, when you're done grieving, then know that we're all really proud of you. Like, well, we all appreciate what you've done and we think you're great and right. you did everything you could. Mm. We're not judging you. Like, and it's disappointing. And so I suppose that that's where that sort of nuance lies. And, and, that's, and that's actually more correct. As, as an elite, as elite athletes, I mean, I, 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 you know, I got this in when I played in Germany. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of shame. There was just, you felt like, you can feel like you let people down and at the same time, you're not ashamed. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like this complete shame. It's a weird feeling. Yeah. And it's that, it's that disappointment. It is. It's, that, it's the, the goal or the dream or whatever that you had and that you're excited for, mm -hmm. but it's not happening. Like yeah. anytime you lose a game, you're excited. You're like, I'm going to, there's a chance I could win this. I mean, there might be a good chance or a bad, you know, or a big chance or a small chance, but you're excited with the possibility because that's why they play the games, right? Because anyone can win. Uh -huh. if, Okay, give the you know give the trophy to the number one seed. I Sarah, I want to um, continue to have a conversation about how how enthusiasm athletes' enthusiasm can work against them sometimes. Mm. Uh, we we touched on it a little bit before I, I started defending myself. Because uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, because look, if anyone that knows me. I, you know, I was raised by I, I have three sisters, three aunts. I I, I know about. Being, uh, being okay for a man to cry, okay? <laughs> when you're raised by women, you already acknowledge it's okay for a dude to cry, <laughs> okay? Um, in theater, sometimes if an actor goes up there and says, I'm gonna be, um, goes on stage and says, I'm gonna be great, um, they'll never be, they're not gonna be great. <laughs> any professor, any long-term actor. So I'm translating that to volleyball a little bit. Sometimes somebody wants something so bad where that enthusiasm works against them. And I guess us, uh, you're, 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 a, you're, a, 
you're you're an, an Olympian, former Olympian, or however that term's supposed to be. You still um, get to just say Olympian. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just like just <laughs> look, just like they get to call what's his name, Mr. President, right? Like Carter right. or whatever. He's still called Mr. President, Olympian. Right. You are an Olympian. You are an elite mm -hmm. athlete, um, and and you're a mom that actually you know sent your kid uh, to 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 set for some 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 schmuck from Brooklyn for a club team <laughs> called Evolution, right? So. Um, <laughs> how as as a player and as a parent because parents are coaches too do do we because i've been coaching longer than some people have lived um even on the pro scene how do we i'd like you to take a first stab at this how do we get kids to to understand the difference between wanting it and just getting out there and playing and letting the result take care of itself i think the key is separating who they are from what they do. So by that, I mean exactly what I was talking about with this idea of their self-esteem not riding on their performance but because that's what makes them not want to go for it. They, they act like these guys, ah, oh, these kids. Sometimes they act like they don't care because they don't want to be too invested. But this idea of, hey, I'm still okay and, and believing, believing they can do it because they've practiced and they worked hard and they, you know, they've, you know, they've put in this effort and they trust their teammates and they trust themselves and being enthusiastic. It's okay to be enthusiastic. It's okay to want it, but you can't want it because that's the only way you'll feel good. And that's the difference. I mean, I've seen it a lot with the players who really need it for their self-esteem. And luckily some, I mean, the ones, some of them actually do perform and that, fuels them. And it's the same with parenting, you know, it's this negative, like, if you don't do that, then you're a loser. You know, you're a terrible kid if you don't do the right thing, or you'll be a good kid if you do what I say. We have to separate who they are from what they do, know that they're amazing, and it's worth trying. It's worth trying to be the best you can be. And there's, you know, it doesn't mean anything about who you are. I don't know. I um, said this on a previous podcast, but it, it bears repeating in this case. Um, Chael Sonnen, mixed martial artist, um, mm -hmm. former UFC fighter, um, and just extraordinary personality, once said, they say that losing is not an option. I think that is absolutely ridiculous. Losing is an option. Losing is the most readily available option <laughs> all the time, always there when you need it. So he said, if you're one of these players that has this hang up that's worried about being great or just where in this moment where um, you have all this invested and there's all this pressure on you to win or this or that. He yeah. said, he, I want you to realize two very important things. One, most likely the other team's feeling it too. Your opposition's feeling the same thing you are. And two, it's natural. Uh, the reason why I think some, some kids can't and, and elite athletes can't compartmentalize this is because they think that they're the only ones that are feeling this this form of pressure that they might categorize as a weakness especially in men and men tend and male players probably five sure. times more than women right especially uh, male athletes and it's and we as coaches and and as and as, and as parents I'm, I'm, I'm got, i got a four-year-old and i know and i gotta bring her up there too but we have to constantly tell these kids, hey, next play, or hey, let's let's do this, uh, uh, or 
we could have negative talk creep up in their head, you know, like, oh, yeah, nice coverage or, you know, this or that. Just, you know, so I guess that's the challenge for for us as mentors to some of these kids who want to play a sport, uh, albeit at a competitive level. There's so many levels here, right? There's even so many right. levels to open, right? I mean, I see an open out tournament out there. I'm like, that's not open, <laughs> you know? Um, well, I and, think the like this idea of um, them being confident, right? You want them to be confident, but there's a difference between that and bragging and puffing themselves up and trying to make themselves out as better than they are, this sort of false bravado. There's a big difference there because I see this, I see these players these kids these athletes you know different you know obviously all the different levels and some of them are just like i'm great i'm so great and you never hear the best players in the world tell you how great they are if you're good enough people will tell you you're great you don't have to tell them like you don't have to convince anyone but i hate this idea of fake it till you make it but i like the idea of build up the confidence with evidence so it's like i'm i know that i what here's what i used to do like if i shanked a ball i wouldn't be like oh my god i suck i wouldn't be like i'm awesome i'd be like oh i know i can pass i've passed so many balls before you know it's like here's what i do and i would go back to technique or whatever but it's like going back i know i have a history and they you know you've done enough passes in practice you've seen serves like that before you can do it and that's what you draw on. It's not like if I tell myself enough, then I'm going to believe it. It's about I'm going to believe it because I truly have done that before. And that's where I think we do it with parenting and with sports. It's like help our kids like when they're scared to go meet new people. You're like, oh, help them like remember a time when they actually were new to a place and they made friends so that then they can draw on that and go, oh, yeah. I feel confident because I'm moving forward, you know, because I know I've done that before and, and that sort of builds up their confidence and their agency. That makes complete sense. And and as far as a right way to go, I mean, there's so many ways to go. I, I, I think I'm a co-sign on that, you know. When I, I played for a long time, and this is a, a curse, I had, the devil on my shoulder was always there. And it was someone, somewhere to a point where I just look at them, I'm like, okay, it's you again, <laughs> you know, oh, it's, uh, I, you know, sometimes I, I look twice and to make sure it's not a new devil or whatever. I'm like, oh, it's only you. you know? <laughs> and, and it's I go into a tournament as a top seed, like a grass tournament, and I play the last seed on center court and I think I'm going to lose. There's this fuck, this ridiculous. Uh, and it's and I'm I wouldn't want anybody that ever navigate his career the way I did. I was spastic <laughs> on the inside because I'm, I'm again, you talk about fake it till you make it. I, I, I didn't the, fake it till you make it only applies because you don't want the other team. We as athletes don't want the other team to think we're scared. So right. so so there is a level of where fake it till we make till we make it is justified, depending on the it's athlete. A it's, it's, it's an acute case. Right? It's a definitely yeah. a cu- acute case. Sorry, go ahead, Sarah. I was going to say, it's definitely like it's the building the confidence and how can we do that authentically Mm -hmm. rather than it being more just like faking and putting on this fake, this false face. Yeah. Because I think there's such a difference too in, in playing not to lose. 
and playing because yeah. you feel free to win, like right. playing because you're not scared to lose that you can go for it and win. Yeah. And it's really interesting. There was so much discussion going on about all those misserves, which obviously there were a ton of misserves both in the beach and in indoors. And this whole idea of just keep it in, you don't want to just keep it in. You have to go for it. And if you're getting points and you're used to getting points on your bomb serve or whatever serve, then you're going to be aggressive. Right. Yes, there is something to a higher percentage serve, but it's not about like just keeping it in. You're not going to lob them an easy one because then they're just going to bomb it and build more confidence for themselves. Yeah. Because that they got a free ball play basically. So well, I, I don't know. It's I only think honestly, about. I only think amateurs and Monday morning quarterbacks would put would put someone in that false dichotomy. Somewhere between serving tough and missing, and somewhere between serving a lollipop and getting licked. All right, not only that, yeah. just but giving them momentum and more confidence that you're scared to actually serve is, it makes it even worse. Which makes someone say, "Dude, I'd rather miss." Uh, but yeah. somewhere, somewhere in the middle of that is that gray area yeah. where you can serve tough enough, um, like a uh, like a volleyball mammal. All right, someone that walks on two legs, drinks water, and knows how to serve. Um, for Spora, it's really about knowing his clientele. Is his team good enough to serve out 14 times and still win because sarah we know there are teams out there 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 were teams actually in the olympics and this very olympics for and in that very sex and in that very venue uh men's indoor that were able to miss 14 serves and still win three up uh, um yeah, because their side out game was so solid yes the french, and they were getting the french dude the french up, were yeah. like their their passing game was was dimes oh my yeah. god the women's indoor that was team. such a fun game wasn't it the final the, the oh russia the uh, uh the what do you call the russian olympic committee uh, against uh france oh. yeah that final was amazing it was but it, it came down to game five and it came down to france passing absolute mm -hmm. dimes just dimes sarah uh the u.s indoor women's team dimes i remember kevin barnett told paul sunland like at match point he says see you don't have to be a great passing team to win the gold and, and sunland's like Dude, they're the best passing team in the tournament. What the hell are you right? What the hell are you talking about? So it was, that was a cool disagreement I wanted to cite uh, as a sidebar. But, but the question I, I was going to say, and, and, I, and I guess we could wrap that part up there. They weren't good enough to miss 14 times and win. That one and two, it's up to Spora and his army of coaches. I don't know what the hell all those people are doing on the sideline to help him to assist, to to know that. Let's change our serving strategy. Let's just let's go to jump floater, because because um, uh, Venezuela, whenever they hand passed, they would jump and they would do this, that. And even the balls that went to the target, the ball would lose a lot of its up and down trajectory and the setter would lose some of his peripheral vision. So they're in system, but not really, because the setter doesn't know if Sparrow spread blocking, which I thought was a mistake or if he changed up to like um, like somewhere between spread blocking, like leaving the middle by himself to defend the, the, the red and the go ball um, and swing blocking where you have to give up line on both sides of the net. Like there, there's, there are variations of blocking strategies. Like I call it loose goose. I played in Germany uh, where you have, you put one hand on your middle shoulder on your middle hitter's shoulder and that's all the space you need because they're running a slow one, step, step, block with them, you know, just step, step up. Um, and now he does, the middle blocker doesn't have to step out and back in. To, to swing block with you to to, um, to help fill the hole, which I think is more the outside blockers of responsibility than the middles. So I just thought it was, I, I mean, he got a lot of blowback and a lot of it was deserved because it wasn't, a, I, I don't think it was, it, it was an actual strategy against this team to to let the middles go one, to match up one-on-one -on -one because they had size. 
the, the, our middle side size. Back to the serving, you yeah, know, it's more please. about like how do you how do you have a good, a tough, mm -hmm. higher percentage serve? Right. That's that gray area, Sarah, right? Well, I mean, well, ain't nobody saying who. I mean, anyone out there saying serve a lollipop, man. I, I mean, yeah. I, look, I criticize them too. And I, there's people that are going to post like, what are your qualifications? And I'm like, what are my, what are my qualifications? Okay, yeah, all right, bro. You know, like, like I need to be a chef to know how to cook steak. There's certain things you could talk about on a certain level. And then when it reaches a level beyond my level of maintenance, um, which is, which in my ego is rare because but we've done this a long time. We can consider ourselves experts. All right. I'm an expert. So are you. So, so what's, so what's my qualifications? All right. Oh, sh 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 go kick rocks. What are you? So, <laughs> but anyway, bef I have so much fun stuff to talk about with the Olympics and this and that, but I want to educate our audience on what you've been up to um, with the whole, well, um, I don't, I've checked, I've done a little research on Sarah. Uh -uh. <laughs> um, for anyone that wants to know our, our, our relational correlation, I was her son's uh, club coach. Her, her son, Zach, was a skateboard guy. And I, and, I, and I made a skateboard guy a setter. And he, he, you know, COVID, look, when the world went to hell, we had less gym time. And I got to tell you, that kid, what? For that position that requires so much attention and this and that, he... I gotta give I gotta give him an A I gotta give him an A minus, you know. <laughs> he I mean, he came into it really late because I didn't push him, put any pressure on him yep. to play volleyball at all. And he ultimately, when he was about it was eighth grade, decided he wanted to play volleyball. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right. And then he got an injury and couldn't play volleyball. And so his right. first experience was in high school. And so at that point you're playing with kids who've all been playing, you know, since yeah. they were eight. And Especially it's redondo too, right? And it's redondo. It's a competitive oh boys program. Yeah. yeah. And then, so because he also, he never played baseball. So I'm going to tell you, <laughs> make sure your kids try all the sports when they're little. <laughs> so because he never played baseball, never did a throwing sport, he didn't have the hitting, didn't have the whole like lower body movement, arm swing type thing. And so he couldn't really hit. So it's like, all right, I'm going to be a setter because I can't hit. And I was like, uh, you do know that's the hardest position <laughs> off the court. But yeah, and so he came in really late and his first season really was with you and he was the only setter. And so he was, it was sort of like trial by fire. Yeah. You know, really figuring it out. He didn't and, burn though. No. He didn't yeah, burn. He, 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 he welcomed the fire. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It made his hair a little blonder, but but he welcomed the, <laughs> he welcomed the fire. I I like that kid. Sorry, yeah. I, I I love considering the given circumstances, considering that 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 team, that club team, as a collective whole, and what and and what what we had to work with. We had two 15 year olds playing 17s, right? We had Donovan yeah, Ivy, right? We had Brian Ivy's nephew, 15 playing playing 17. So I mean, half the half the team were 15. Yeah, playing 17s. I mean, Zach was 15 that whole season too. So. I, it was strangely one of my favorite seasons because these mm -hmm. kids gave me their heart and they, they went in there and they worked to the maximum of their potential, which to some might not have been enough, but people don't understand where I'm coming from or what's enough for me, you know, um, selfishly. They lost a lot of games, yeah. but if you're not looking at, you know, and you shouldn't be just looking at the wins and losses, mm -hmm. they developed, they all got better and they came together as a team and they had some moments where they won matches that they weren't expected to win and they had a good time. It's the only picture, I've been with Evolution for five years, it's the only picture I kept. 
I got one, the very first one, the 16s with Thunderbird and those guys or whatever, uh, and this one. So my first year and my last year uh, are the only two pictures I kept. It was the best team I ever coached, a 16s, and probably the worst 17s we ever coached. But but we're, but we're again, we're playing over their head. We're playing 18s with with kids that were underage and 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 a setter that 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 didn't have the same amount of experience as the other setters had oh, yeah. so um but but he wouldn't have had that opportunity like in terms of like he didn't start no. at eight right. and he didn't start really early as a setter or any no. of that stuff so i think it was fun for him to get to actually you know, oh, he, yeah. because he was the only setter he wasn't gonna be subbed off no so he had to figure it out and i feel like that's kind of a good thing that these players like they need to feel free to take risks to go for it because no one's out there going, that's it, you made one mistake, you're off. Yeah, oh, I got to, and I got to do some real work. Yeah, you did. Uh, uh, dude, I, had a, I felt like I had a real job. <laughs> I got to do some, Sarah, I mean, yeah, look, it's look, it's fun to for some of these guys to be an okay mechanic in a room full of Ferraris, man. I'm sitting there turning Pintos into Tauruses, man. That was that was fun work. Your kid's a Taurus. That's hilarious. <laughs> might, that might even be his sign. Um, <laughs> she's like, wait, is it? <laughs> so, Sarah, tell me what you're doing as far as um, um, effective communication for um, relationships for good parenting and stuff like that tell tell my audience what you've been up to lately um or what you are what you what you do or what you've been doing okay you, you want the long one long version or the short version it's a it's the option it is <laughs> the, the option. option podcast okay so i'm going to give you the semi-long version in 2010 the avp went under and I had knee surgery and it was probably about time for me to move on anyway. And right around that time, I had a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, I think. And I did a parenting class that was all about like, how do we support kids to help themselves? How do we basically build relationships with our families so that they can thrive, so that they can be self-motivated, so that they can actually do their best without us being, you know, having the carrot and the stick, right? Without us sort of dangling rewards and like punishing them, but more like how do we facilitate their growth? And I decided to do this parent educator training, not because I wanted to be a parenting educator, but because I thought the people who are taking the parenting classes are already putting their kids, are already like going, they already believe that, like they already get it. They've already kind of had that shift. The other people who really need it are still putting their kids in sports. And so my goal was I'm taking this parent educator training because I want to bring this style of communication, this style of relating and I suppose helping facilitate growth to youth sports. And so I ended up, um, because it only, it only takes like one, as you know, from having like a teacher or a coach, it only takes one connected adult to really alter the life and the trajectory of a child's life. And so I was like, why can't that be the coach, right? It doesn't have to be the parents. The parents could be just horrific, but you have that one coach and it changes their life. And so I was like, I'm going to bring this to sports. So I ended up doing the training and they asked me to teach for them. And then I ended up teaching the parenting class. And one person in one of the first classes I taught 
uh, sent me an email. She said, I'm sure you know this, but you're changing the world one family at a time. And I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I guess this is what I'm doing now. So I've, I've mostly been teaching parenting classes, working with, you know, working with families, working one-on-one with people. And then I also, in between, I uh, was volunteer assistant for Stein at UCLA for the beach program, which was really fun. I got to bring a lot of the stuff that I'd worked on in terms of this relationship building and um, autonomy and support, you know, autonomy support for athletes and how to just sort of help build their confidence and, and their, you know, and their just ability to self-motivate, help to bring that and the relationships really helping that to sports. And so that was a really fun year. And then, um, and then just a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted a master's. And so I am um, doing a master's in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology and getting coaching, getting one-on-one coaching has been amazing. And I think everyone needs it because the idea behind coaching is that the person that you're coaching has everything they need within themselves to get to where they want to be. And your job as a coach is to facilitate that. Your job as a coach is to bring that out of them by asking the right questions. And oh my goodness, if I'd known, you know, back 20, 30 years ago, I, well, I don't know. I feel like I could have done much more than I have. But um, anyway, so yeah, so now I want to bring that both to the parenting side, but also to young adults, like to teenagers, to kids and help parents use that coaching approach because you don't have to fix things for your kids. You know, it's okay for them to be upset. We can hold space for their emotions. Make sure you maintain the relationship so that they trust you and actually come to you as a consultant when they're older. Because if you destroy the relationship when they're little by just like basically manipulating them or forcing them to do things or having them fear you, when they're teenagers, they're not going to come to you. Right? They're not actually, you know, they don't have the relationship with you. And, and later on, like they're not coming back. Like you, you lose them once they leave. And so I think for me, it's like, I feel like coaching is all about relationships and parenting is all about relationships. And it's just, so now I'm basically trying to combine everything together to help parents so that they can have a better relationship with their kids so that these kids can move out into the world and know what they need, know that they can solve their own problems, know that they can manage their own emotions and uh yeah i mean i'm excited i've got you know a couple more a couple more months and i'm done yeah mm-hmm. my goodness uh, that's that's not a, a a long version that was that <laughs> sarah that was just right <laughs> and i think i think i speak for both of us that there are a lot of a lot of coaches out there and, and I, I guess i'm highlighting old school coaches that have an old school approach that could have a little bit more balance in their life i'm i'm not suggesting to some of those old school, old school coaches that they should get rid of their style of coaching altogether they should but what they should be able to do is is recognize certain personalities and kids like like i'm not saying kids are a type of person oh that's a challenger defender kid that's the schizoid character that's this and that because in acting we learn about that too like movement for actors we temperament learn about is different temperament matters like kids mm-hmm. need different things i mean children your mm-hmm. own children as well as the kids you coach they need different things to motivate themselves yeah i i think there are the thing that divides some of the good old school coaches and the bad old school co- coaches is punishment versus um challenge like mm-hmm. like if one person wins and the rest of the team has to do suicides 
if a parent looks at the team doing suicides as a punishment for losing as as opposed to um i i guess consequence to 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 alternative to the winner is 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 what determines when a coach says all right everybody back line do you know i what guess I'm saying? the question is yeah please what are the athletes interpreted as if they're like oh mm -hmm. my god this coach is an asshole right yep i hate this guy I can't yep. believe he's doing this. And I hate you, guy who missed it, you know, who who hit the ball in the net. You're, it's your fault that we're doing this. And it's toxic but, for women's volleyball too. Yeah, and for I think it's for all of them. It's like mm -hmm. how do we got to think about what the goal is? Like what are we trying to improve, mm -hmm. right? Is it about how it's like we where are we trying to get better and is running suicides as a punishment, does that actually make you get better? Right. But as – Again, there's a difference between punishment and consequence. Like if they already know up front, the winner does this, the losers have to line up. It's something that makes them want to be first and gives them a competitive edge as opposed to a kid making a mistake and then everybody else uh, lining up everyone to punish everybody for that one kid's mistake, right? And, and, and again, think, please. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that if you have a, a harsh consequence on the end, uh-huh, that they're going to play not to lose? I think that depends on the kid. I think that's the responsibility of the coach to, to, to know who his kids are. To, um, is the kid going to play keep away ball? You know, uh, which is tough to do in volleyball, right? There's no keep away ball. You actually have to reach a score. You can't wait till you can't get a lead and wait till the, till the clock aspires. So, so all of the studies that I point out, I'm very, very uh, close. Uh, very, very adamant about vetting all everything, all the studies that I read. I want to know the sample size. I want to know the sport they're playing. I want to know the sport they're playing at a different level. I want to know if it's men's and women's because we know men's is more through leadership and performance and women's is more through camaraderie and, and, and sisterhood. Um, I want to know how long the study's been done. I want to know, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there. I don't, I'm one of those guys who, who actually values the science, but I use the word science collective. Right, because there's so much there's so much science we don't understand because some of these studies are lazy, and even even peer reviewed ones. The peers are just reviewing that they agree on the lurking variables. But I'm like, are the people seeing the lurking variables? No, <laughs> they're not. Okay, you saw it, and of course you reviewed it. But so so it's one of those things where I just, I just want to keep. That's what this podcast is all about. We, we want to keep asking the question. You know, we want to keep asking the question. So okay, I have a question for you. I'm right, still good. straight. I'm not gay. <laughs> Oh, no. Whoa. Sorry. You have a sorry. What was, what was the other question? Sorry, Sarah. No, my question for you is. Is uh, the punishment okay? consequence, whatever. Is that because you think that the team didn't want it enough, weren't trying hard enough to win? Right. The reason I'm saying right. this is because if we're questioning their motivation, uh -huh. if we've built this relationship and we've built these We've supported these players to a point where you know that they care about doing their best and trying hard. Right. Then we shouldn't need to be adding these extrinsic motivators. Right. Right. Whether that's, and, you know, I mean, I have this, so I did this whole research project about motivation and I know a ton about like all the different levels of motivation. And the absolute worst of it the least effective and the or effective for the wrong reasons and not long-term effective is these extrinsic motivators mm -hmm. and so for me if you're like these kids are making mistakes 
or these kids are not trying. I think to me, it's more about looking at that and going, how do I help them build their percentages? How do I help them? And if they're not trying, why are they not trying? Why are they not putting effort? Is it because they're scared to lose because they want to look like kind of cool, look like I don't care because then if I lose, at least I didn't lose trying because, you know, if I, if I tried and lost, then my self-esteem would feel bad. You know, if I, if I, if I gave everything and lost, then I would be a terrible player or whatever. And so, and, and if we, if it's that, then we need to unpack that yes. and help them to sort of build that part of it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like, I personally don't believe in let's give some external motivator because I think that there are other ways that actually get to the root of the problem instead of like going on the outside and saying, hey, if you lose, you're going to have to do something. Agreed. For me, I've changed a lot of my practices. I mean, I was an old school guy for a long time and, and a lot about me is still old school, but I actually, I'll give you an example, two examples. One was a reward system. Like mm-hmm. if somebody won a drill, their reward was to do the left and right drill, like pass left and right, which some people are like, that's, that's the reward. That's what the winners get. What the hell do the losers get? But what happens is when the other team is watching this player go back and forth. And eventually, by the 10th ball comes, you, you, you have to dive and then get up and dive again. What happens is a player comes up to me and says, coach, can I do it next? And I'm like, and I'm like, well, if you win the next drill, yeah, sure. So now <laughs> something would someone consider a punishment is like, wait a second, I, I think I want to do that. And that's that, at least for boys volleyball, changed the competitive psyche in some of the teams. And, and I guess I'm highlighting the team that I coached last with Evolution, but it's worked, it's worked every single year. I will only make people go backline. This is a second example, and, and I'll give you the floor. I will only have give someone punishment or consequence if I tell people to jog it out and they're walking. I don't, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I'm okay with people trying and failing, but not trying at all is, is, and and like you said, that's, that's something maybe we talk after practice, like, hey, what gives? Understanding the kid and this and that, you know, and maybe it is a repair thing, repair and replace thing for what I'm, what I'm doing right or wrong on that. Go ahead. I feel like that is that I hear that from coaches a lot. Like I can handle anything except for lack of effort, right? That's the thing I hear from coaches all the time. And that's where I think it's a trying to understand what's going on because they want to do well. Yeah. I think on a general level they do. Yeah. Yeah. And they want, and it's fun. And like, they don't want you to be pissed off with them. Mm -hmm. And so if you have the relationship, Mm -hmm. right. And this is a thing that, and, and if they, you know, I love, I think Mike Gervais posted recently on LinkedIn something about this idea of seeing feedback as a gift, mm-hmm. you know, rather than a criticism of like, instead of saying, you suck, it's saying, I think you can be better. And that's something ideally that we as parents and as coaches can instill in players of like, hey, I'm giving you this because I want to help you because I believe you can be better. And let's work on developing like you were saying like hey you now have an opportunity i'm giving you an opportunity to be better by doing this extra drill of like that's great that's like hey look at how much better you can get and so i still you know i mean i think we probably have a lot of work to do to figure out how to support these kids who are some of them are put in sports when they don't want to do it like Mm. their parents sign them up they're like you have to do a sport you have to do this or whatever 
and they're just kind of going through the motions. And we have to really be careful about that. Because if our goal is to have people who are active for the rest of their lives, who enjoy playing sports or enjoy being active, then if we force them to do stuff, they, we're doing the opposite. Well, you know, I, I they think, end up going, oh, yeah. I hate this, it's stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, look, think about the United States Army. Think about oh, it's a volunteer army now, right? There's no draft, or you, you can't you can't be drafted anymore, not since like '81. There is there is punishment and consequences for lack of performance, but uh, it might be a bad example because these are these are these are situations where if you make the mistake, it might cost you your life. So so uh, I don't use it as an example because these are these are not juniors, right? These are fully fully grown uh, mature adults. Maybe some not old enough to drink, but old enough to sign to sign to to sign a dotted line and and, and defend the Constitution. So you see something that's worked for in that institution where people actually come out saying everybody should serve at least two you everyone that i that i know that served this includes me i'm a gulf war vet all right and my father before me and my father before him my father before him um and my sister uh first female two tours in afghanistan um kid sister every single one of them thinks that like everybody should like at least enlist for like two years like if there was like a one-year enlistment where you could do the boot camp and then ait you learn like a, a particular trade like i learned diesel generators or whatever I, I supported mi um or be a chairborne ranger we call some people like finance we call them chairborne rangers instead of airborne mm -hmm. rangers there is something to be said about that form of thing that has worked that has instilled discipline and in fact that it, that has encouraged other people to encourage people to do that you know what are your thoughts on that so it's really interesting thinking about discipline and thinking about self-discipline uh -huh. and whether where it comes from. And this is something that we talk about in the whole coaching community, coaching like the life coaching sort of individual coaching community yep. of not necessarily being about discipline imposed on you, but how do you build that? How do you reflect within yourself? and figure out what what strategies you need to put in place so that you can be better right? so that you can get to your goal so and that comes from you know like for me for example i know that when i get on my phone that i tend to like get lost and will go on facebook or i'll go scroll and do various different things i guess i'm showing my age by saying i'm on facebook instead of instagram or TikTok or something but um so i know for me to stay on target, I do much better if I have a physical paper book with my to do list and my things that I have, you know, whatever I've got going on and my ideas. And so I think supporting this and this is where the autonomy piece comes in as well, is like asking them and saying, hey, what helps you to be your best? What gets in the way? Um, what can you do to, to get rid of those things that are in the way? So you can perform your best. Where, what are your fears? What are you excited about? You know, using that by asking the team, hey, what motivates you? How can your teammates help you? How can you help your teammates? Then they're invested. And then when it's not working, you say, hey, what went wrong? What do you think went wrong? Well, you're, instead of coming in saying, hey, I think this is what's wrong. You need to do this. Have them invested in, the, in their ideas because they chose it. So they're saying, oh, you're like, oh, hey, I noticed how many balls, how many balls went down without being covered? And then you're like, okay, what was it? How did, what, 
what got in the way? Oh, I forgot. Okay, what do you think would help? Oh, I need to do this, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like sometimes we go straight for, I'm going to make you do that. Right. Instead of like, hey, invest, have them be a little invested in it. Mm-hmm. So they're like, do you want do you want to get better? Right. And how do you want to get better? And what's the best way to get there? And just help them because they're moving forward. They know what it takes to get themselves out of a slump. Yep. They know what they need from other people. And they're more likely to give it instead. I mean, you see it all the time with kids particularly. I mean, you see it with adults too, but where they'll be like, find someone to blame. You know, that, oh, that person blew it for us. That person right. did, you know, blame the ref, blame the other team. Oh, those kids were older than us or whatever. And it's like, own it, you know, take responsibility. And why are you taking responsibility? Use that as feedback, not as like, you know, it means that you suck, but it means that you have an opportunity to get better. Uh, absolutely. And there's also a big difference between someone being experienced enough to to, to see um, if someone doesn't want to be there and if someone who wants to be there is just just making mental mistakes, right? Even at the Olympic level, like someone's covering position one and someone tips. It's like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know, and next thing you know, they're diving. So even at that level, there are there are mental mistakes and right. no one, no one on this planet is not going to say that that person doesn't want to be there, <laughs> right. you know, or that person or that person doesn't want to win. You know? Totally, but yeah, but it's yeah. like helping them to unpack what got in the way and they'd be like, oh, and let them think about it, right? And not like ask the question, because so often coaches will ask the question and immediately give them the answer that, that they think. Yeah. It's like, hey, what got in the way? What were you thinking about in that moment? And they go, oh, actually, I started thinking about what I was going to do when I was going to hit it. Oh, I thought they were going to go there. Oh, what were you watching? You know, but helping them to do it yeah and like these mental mistakes absolutely but this is the focus how do you train focus okay then help them with you know have some kind of a mindfulness meditation practice or something right but like help them figure out so that they are then empowered to own this stuff and not just go oops i did it again you know yeah and you can sing your britney right now but <laughs> i think i sang it last night but go ahead <laughs> yeah. but yeah i mean you know it's Where was like I last night sorry <laughs> go ahead <laughs> But just empowering people to take full responsibility Mm. and to help them to look for what they can do, look at the pathways. You know, um, the definition of hope has the three has three areas and it's like you have a goal and you have agency, which means you believe you can do it and you have multiple pathways that like if something doesn't work, then you find other pathways. And that is like they can hope if they get, if they believe that it's like, so we need to help them know that, Hey, if something doesn't work, you try something else. It's like not being stuck. And one of the other things I thinking about that self-discipline, there's a book I read uh, um, a couple of years ago and I went revisited recently. It's called self reg. And it talks about how so much of self-discipline is actually more self-regulation and being able to manage the stimuli around you and being able to focus rather than like kids who get overwhelmed by like bright lights and loud noises and it's super disruptive in classrooms. And, it, you know, the teachers think, oh, this kid, it's a discipline, but it's actually their inability to regulate from the environment. And so I think that like that is we need to help them, help the athletes, help our kids 
pay attention to what's going on inside them so that they can stay regulated, which helps them to stay focused. Yeah. So that then they can notice... Oh, shit, sorry. My daughter trying to <laughs> try to contact me, um, but help them stay regulated and stay focused, which allows them to then achieve what they can what they can achieve. Yeah, and it's also, I guess, the more you know, the more you've been coaching and the more you've been doing this, the more you're able to detect detect these types of personalities ahead of time. Um, I mean, I give you an example where you you might not condone the punishment but you're like i kind of get it right uh, my first day on the job at endless summer beach volleyball right yeah um she gives me a group called the knuckleheads the knuckleheads are all little girls who are committed they're 16 17 they already know what school they're going to right um can't have a young coach coach them because they're like this dude's <laughs> i'm the, this guy's the same age as me so she's looking for someone old school this is duran right forbes she's looking for someone a little bit old school i'm i'm, okay. I'm a little bit more uh what i call brooklyn strict you know what I'm saying? How we raise our kids out there. Um, so they're doing a drill and they're supposed to collect the balls. We call it shag, right? Shag the balls, right? Um, and there's one girl walking while everyone's walking in my practice. So I'm not going to name her by name. I'm like, I'm like, are you walking in my practice? And she looks at me and she goes, you know, like that and, and turns around and walks away. So I do this. And I told this story, but again, it bears repeating. I go, And I call another girl over. Um, it's Presley. It's her her daughter, um, the program director's daughter. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, do you know what the plank is? And she said, yeah, it's this. So she gets down on the plank. I'm like, very good. She tries to get up. I said, no, don't get up. Don't get up. And, that, and I'm, I'm pointing out names because I'm terrible with names. So I'm like, Serena, um, plank. Karina, plank. Um, Natalie, plank. Why? plank um so the girl who, who smirked at me was going to go in the plank and i said not you i said them you shag and when you're done they can get up so now the whole team is looking at her like this <laughs> like really um the, the 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 lower age girls on the on the other net are looking at me like <laughs> wow he just did that <laughs> you know to the rebels the parents go yeah. <laughs> and Duran says, I freaking love this guy. So that's a punishment or a consequence that some might disagree. But me as a coach, I arbitrarily thought super necessary because it's it's my first day on the job. And I had to set a precedence where the, the dichotomy is you respect me the same way you respect Dane because he's an Olympic coach, or just say, hey, I don't know this guy well enough to be doing that. Let me just do what he says and, and allow each other to feel, to feel ourselves out. That's, now, that's a classic example of how someone might disagree with punishment or consequence that I take to my grave, that I deem at that time super necessary. So I guess the question for me is, how do you earn respect? And how do you set expectations and how do you hold limits? Right. Right. How do you hold boundaries? Mm -hmm. of like, this is what I expect. And building that mm -hmm. from the beginning of like, here's how I here's how I expect our relationship to be. Here's mm -hmm. what I expect from you. Here's yes. what you can expect from me. Yep. And so that's like, I know that there's a lot of that, particularly like that age of like middle school, whatever, like testing. Whatever, 16s and 17s and, and yeah, the South school, Bay. School, whatever. That's a it's size. like they're at this big <laughs> autonomy phase of their life of like, 
you can't tell me what to do. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's exactly where they are. And so it is hard because what we tend to want to do is like, oh, we jump into this power struggle. Right. We jump into the power struggle because you're like, you're saying no. Well, pff, forget that. I'm saying, I'm saying yes. Mm-hmm. You know. And so for me, it's like, how can we start off on the right foot? where we can build that relationship and build that trust because you want to have the trust. You need the trust because if you want to, it's funny, I was just having a conversation with someone the other day about, it was like a preschool situation though, of like this preschool teacher I know, she, if she thought that a kid, her relationship with a kid was sort of iffy, she'd ask them to do her a favor, Mm -hmm. like just a small favor. Oh, can you go get me the scissors or whatever? And if the kid was like, no. She's like, ah, I have worked you on the relationship. Ah, there it is. And so, but this is it. It's a relationship because you need the relationship. If you have the relationship with those kids, they will do anything for you. Right. If you don't, you have to keep upping the punishment, the whatever consequences, whatever. You have to keep making it. You kind of have to keep forcing it. And the goal is like, and this is what I love seeing coaches like Karch and coaches like Pete Carroll and coaches like Phil Jackson who are so empowering of their athletes. I love seeing those relationships. I love seeing those teams do well. You mean Phil, right? Phil Jackson? Yeah. Phil Jackson. Did I say Pete? He's so good. Phil Jackson. He's so good. Go ahead. I know, but this this is the thing. You see them and they are very much, they show, I trust my team. Mm -hmm. I have instilled in this, this is, and that those teams are super tight knit. All of those teams are super tight knit. And I think it's just, I think we need to see, I remember um, John Kessel, who, you know, he was a legend at uh, USA Volleyball. Yeah. I remember him saying to me, if we did heart surgery, if a heart surgeon performed heart surgery today, the same way they did 30 years ago, they would be sued for malpractice. Of course. And yet we have coaches coaching now the same way they coached 30 years ago. And we know from all the research that we shouldn't be doing that. that All the research collective. (laughs) that is not as effective Mm -hmm. and it destroys relationships and you end up getting a lot more people dropping out. I agree. And so for me, I mean, you know, I definitely, obviously I come from a very different place, partly from, you know, being a woman, but also like from the research that I've been around and I, it it definitely takes longer. It's much easier to parent and to coach Mm -hmm. by just making them afraid of you and saying, you got to do this. Right. But as a, if you build the relationship, it ultimately, it pays off because they're like, they're willing to do things because right. they care about you. I mean, yeah. you look, those kids will do anything for Kaj. Absolutely. I mean, kids, those, those women. Yeah. And those girls, hey, that, that, that was five years ago. All of those girls are in college right now. They, t- they would take a bullet for me too. So it's not, it's not like, it's not the, it's, I mean, it doesn't just necessarily it's not like the bees with honey thing is the only way to go. And, and Sarah, mm-hmm. the reason why I told the story the way I did was mm-hmm. some old school coaches are reactionary to that defiance. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I, what did I do? I sat when I, when I told you the story, I did this. When she did that to me, I did this. I waited. I compartmentalized it, I registered it, and I made a decision, not out of emotion, because that's what old school coaches are like, how dare you, this and that. Um, It was a great practice, and at the end of the practice, I said, listen, every single one of you have my respect until you abuse it. And they got it. They got it because they knew what I knew. If that were Dane, or if that were someone that they grew up, 
you know, like, like knowing that's a college or Stein or whatever, someone that they grew up in their region instead of some guy with a Yankee hat coming out of nowhere, right? They, if, if Dane said, are you walking in my practice? She's running. She's not smirking at Dane. So that's, so we're not, we're not trying to just put all these kids in one lump. Oh, that kid shouldn't be punishing this and that. And, that, and I, I'm, again, I'm very, very careful when I say research. I say research collected because I can give you a sample size of girls in South Bay. I can give you a sample size of the boys I coach in Harlem, New York, City College, New York, City Tech, all, uh, you know, predominantly West Indian. They, they have a strict upbringing. So not, not all, just like, not all, not, no two players and no three players and no four or five players are alike. No, no, no two old school coaches are alike. I just gave you an example where one, I'm, I'm new in this area and I have to, I felt I had to set a precedent. It was on my first day and my Brooklyn virtue says if someone does that to you and if you let it go, they feel like they can do it anytime they want. You know, and, and, I, and, and I suppose um, that's the difference, right? Right. So for me, mm-hmm. I come from this place of limits with empathy, right? Setting expectations up front. Yes. And then, hey, mm-hmm. it seems like you're not, you yeah. don't, didn't recognize what was going on or you wanted to test and see what this, what, what's all about, what it's all about. Yep. What do you but, think we should do? But I repaired that. I said, every, yeah. every single one of you have my respect yeah. unless you abuse it. And I said, is right. that fair? And they, all, and, 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 they, and they all said, yes, coach. And, and then from there, mm-hmm. We're good, man. We're 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 good. Um, like Catherine Miskowski, Natalie. I coached her, right? She's she's gonna play for Stein, right? Um, I think Eden, Tatiana, Karina's already at, playing for Dane at USC. So we have three girls going to USC: one UCLA, one Arizona, one Grand Canyon, and two Long Beach State. So we we ended up leading the nation in recruitments per capita, um, because Duran had two had a mixture. She had. Andrew Dentler, who was an awesome coach, Rob, Rob, who's a kind of a disciplinarian, but she had two old school guys, but not like you said, not it's I'm, I'm, I'm very careful saying old school because old school we're putting into this one, just like the kids. We're, we're not careful yeah, to put all these kids in one category. We can't put all old school, we can't put all the coaches in one category very much the same way. We can't put all these kids like the mistake is you put the, all the kids in one category. You think you're only supposed to coach one way. That's where the old school uh, old school fails. Definitely. That's where the old school fails. But something like people need to understand is not. Not, not just like no two or three kids are alike. No, no two or three uh, old school kids are alike. They we self correct. I'd like to consider myself old school, but there's some there's so many things I would never do or say that I said I did ten years ago. I wouldn't have my outside hitter crying idea, right? crying a at a college game because I yelled at him in front of his girlfriend. You know what I'm saying? You know. And back then I was defensive. I'm like, I, and I said this on the last podcast. I'm like, your girlfriend's not looking at me like I yelled at you. Your girlfriend's looking at me like you played like garbage. You know? I'm not. I've evolved. I've mm. evolved. I'm still old school, but I've evo- uh, uh, I'm a different kind of old school because I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd be like, hey, you know, I apologize. Let's repair this. Right now we got a game to win and I'm with you and we could have that conversation. <laughs> I'm like, you want to have that conversation yeah, with your girl after the match? We could do that, you know? Right. How are mm. we going to get better? How do we get past this? Yes. Is the question, right? It's not... And this is where, I mean, so this is kind of where we differ and it's just like a different, like we have the same goal. Mm -hmm. We want to do well. We want to maintain the relationship. We want to understand. 
And we both agree that the net result is not winning. Like for us, look, if I'm in college, all right, it is about winning. Otherwise, you don't have a job. Uh, um, But like coach and coaching professionals, I can coach any professional I want randomly here and there. Um, Club, you know what I'm saying? It's all about the kids and it's all about the parents. So, But the thing that we have in common is the net result is not winning. The net result is building character, having kids push through situations that that are problematic, right? Uh, That might be problematic instead of just... um, I don't know, instead of just whatever. So, but that's, that's very unique for our audience to know. Cause I'm, cause they want to, cause want the, them to, to me, they think I'm coming down. from like, win, win the game at all costs. That's not, that's not what I'm saying here. And the other thing I find is really interesting. You can't control winning. No. <laughs> Whether you win or not, all you can control is what you do. Like you can control like your mental state, your regulation. You can control the movements you make. You can mm-hmm. control what your focus is on. Mm-hmm. You can control that. And if no. you focus on those things, you're way more likely to win mm-hmm. than if you start to worry about the score. Yeah, uh, dude, it's very, very much like theater. Like greatness is what the audience decides, not what you. You, you, you got to keep. You got to keep it about that work, right? And, and I guess volleyball greatness, which they associate with winning. Uh, um, you can't be thinking about winning because, like you said, it's not a, 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 a controllable, if at all, a completely controllable circumstance. You don't know what the other team's gonna? I mean, you can't. Mm-hmm. make them play better or worse <laughs> no like they can no. be playing oh lights God. out oh. and if you're control i remember when um when i was working with ucla that was one of the things we talked about it's like after the game like these girls would come off and they'd lost a game say and i'd be like okay well how'd you do on each of these and be like okay how's your serving how was your you know how was your setting how was your blocking how was your hitting how was your passing how was your mental state how and they would be like oh actually this was pretty good. Oh, this wasn't bad. This was great. Oh, we didn't do well at this. And it was, they felt so much better afterwards instead of just looking at the score and feeling like, oh, we lost and having it be this dichotomy of like, you're a winner or a loser. But it was more like, hey, this is feedback now. Mm-hmm. This is like, what would we do if we wanted to get better at that thing? How do we fix that? You know, people, so Sarah, people have to appreciate that old saying. It's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Everybody's like, that's a bunch of crap. No, that that is a real thing. And, I'll, and the reason is... Well, how you play the game determines whether you win or lose. <laughs> but sometimes... But not necessarily. No, but sometimes you can win a game and the way you played, it feels like a loss. Oh, for sure. And that's what I was talking about with the Bodie Miller comment earlier. Mm-hmm. It's like you can have a crappy run you know, skiing and still win a gold medal. I mean, do you remember that? um, You remember that speed skater, that Australian speed skater years ago who like everyone ended up falling and he got a gold medal. (laughs) Remember that? It was a short track, which is so intense. And it's, it was, this guy's name was Stephen Bradbury. And people still talk about doing a Bradbury is like when you like win despite all your best efforts. I gotta, now I got to search it while we're talking. Oh, you, you got to look it you up. You know it's... why? Because his name is probably going to be associated with that. Stephen Bradbury. Oh, for sure. Bradbury. Yeah. <laughs> God, I keep... But that's the thing, though. Like you can I don't want you to come off. And oh, who was it? Um, oh, my God. I can't remember the coach. But some like legendary coach talked about winning being the best deodorant. Right. Is because you win and you don't know that you stink. Yeah. Right. If you're doing, and it's like, this is why I so much prefer us that let's do feedback on all the different areas that we're interested in so that we can actually get better because winning and losing, that doesn't give us anything. All it tells us is that we 
you know, we won or we lost. And on the day, we happen to have fewer mistakes or whatever than the other team. Here it is. Hold on. Here it is. <laughs> 2002 Winter Olympics. After all his opponents were involved in a last corner pileup, he was the first athlete from Australia in the Southern Hemisphere to win an Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> That's a sidebar. That's a sideline. Um, side note that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, you gotta look at you gotta see the video. It's pretty funny. Oh my god. Let me I'll put um let me actually see if I can find the video, but it's <laughs> <is> hilarious. <laughs> just like a, a bunch of rabbits fell and the turtle just comes do -de -do -de -do. Totally. And I mean obviously you had to be good enough to make it to the final because getting to a final in short track in the Olympics is pretty good. The most unexpected I mean, medal in good, really history. Really good. There's but... a YouTube video, the most unexpected medal in history. Uh, Welcome back to the world. Stupid ads. But um, Sarah, while I'm looking for this, how did you wind up in the Olympics in 2000? Gosh, that's a tough one. We actually got the, we, I mean, we, uh, we were the third Australian team. And at the time they let three teams go because they let the host country have an extra team if you'd earned two other spots. So we were still pretty good. Like we were still in the top, you know, we were still in the top 20 in the world, but, um, but we ended up making it because we were, we, you know, if we'd been from any other country, we wouldn't have been there. Right. So, but it was still, I mean, yeah, it's funny. Cause I sometimes, you know, I'll be like, is there an asterisk next to my Olympics? Because we, you know, <laughs> because we got there as the third, as the third team. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we I don't know if you remember, but in that Olympics we played, we were the 22nd seed out of the 24 teams and they were playing a double elimination. Our first match was against uh, Jenny Johnson-Jordan, who's the assistant coach at UCLA, right. and Annette Davis. And we had, we played the game of our lives. Oh, and my goodness. we got to 13 all. Nice. In the game to 15 and we ended up losing at 15-13. And it was a bummer, but it was like such an amazing match and it was such a great experience. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of, it was still like, I mean, I felt terrible having, you know, not performed in terms of finishing well, but we'd worked hard, you know, we'd worked hard to get there. We'd been to all those different tournaments and done well, done well enough to be in that top, you know, in that top 20 and to make it there but i don't know I, it's still it's fun to be in that club hell yeah you know it's, and we they went can never to, take it away <laughs> yeah they can't take that away from you and you know we did play well and i mean oh my gosh the experiences we had on the world tour i still have so many lifelong friends that i met when we were because you travel together like you see each other every week and you see them at breakfast and you hang out together you practice together and you hang out after games and I mean, still a lot of the a lot of the guys on the American tour, girls and guys here, um, and actually, it's fun. Some of the players for the played when I played, their kids are now playing, and some of the kids. I want my friend Rebecca. Oh, well, Deborah, mm -hmm. her daughter played in the Olympics. Nice, she was like nineteen, and she ended up making it, like for the Netherlands, which was so fun. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, one of my volleyball mentors, um, Aldis Lucis of Latvia, um, he played at UCLA, but he didn't get to set because that was Karchin Sinjin running the 6-2, right? Uh -huh. um, he was my volleyball mentor as far as helping me conquer demons from the neck up.
and he was the one somewhere in the late 90s and early 2000s that was helping me compartmentalize how I was coached, which is very old school, which produced the results and and why how that works for people and how that's that doesn't he himself is an old school uh, coach guy and he was a uh, no excuses guy and I, and, and I in many ways I'm still that way but I think I found a way to do it where because of him I find a way to do it where I don't have to say I don't tolerate excuses they just you know the girls like someone's like oh I'm sorry I'm later I'm sorry I missed that drill but it's not like it's not for me it's not like they have to make up excuses in their head to escape punishment or to or at the same time to lull on this this unfounded level of guilt for just missing one freaking play it's not the game's not till one it's the 21 um and his goddaughter is uh, Tina Gradina Oh wow, that's yeah. so awesome! So she's um, yeah. and she had yeah. a man. She that's had a chance fun. to compete for that bronze, right? And totally. She, and she's yeah. and she still owes Dana another year. Like everybody, yeah, awesome. like people have come up and asked me, and I'm I'm totally hater Jay when it comes to this. They said, "Who do you think is the best beach player to come out of USC?" Like the beach team. They they asked me between Sarah Hughes and Kelly Clays, and I'm like. Tina Gradina, <laughs> you know, I mean, if we're talking in the big scheme of things, right, it's it's April Ross, but but like she um, didn't play in the beach program. NC double, but she was indoor, right? She was yeah. she wasn't on a beach team. There was no beach. There was no beach team back then. But mm -hmm. I'm like, why not Tina? Why not Tina, who's mm -hmm. already just as good as them um, and and his medals higher than them uh, uh, without the chem have the chemistry of her partner um, all year round. Right. Because she had to play mm -hmm. with with craft. Yeah. She had to play college with craft uh, um, and train with craft. So why mm -hmm. not her who, by the way, still has another year to, to finish her story, awesome. to finish yeah. her story. So, yeah. yeah. And she's just, no, I said she's absolutely gorgeous, too. Like she's, mm -hmm. you know, she's one of these people like that looks good in civilian clothes and in a bathing suit you know she's she's yeah um i was gonna i was gonna say like i want to just pop back to the olympic thing um please you know in 96 my well so 95 i guess my partner and i had been trying to qualify and we went played in every qualifier and we made it to a bunch of main draws and we were creeping up creeping up creeping up on the number two australian team and we were but we still had, because of the way their system, we still had to play in every qualifier, even though we got it finished ahead of them in every tournament. It was your best finish from 94 and all your finishes from 95 would give you your final. We didn't play in 94. So we're already starting behind and we played in every qualifier. We end up, I think we were like, it was something like we were like four to, I don't know, I can't remember the number. I feel like it was really small, like four points behind the second team going into the last qualifying tournament for Atlanta, which was in Brazil. Okay. And at the time they didn't do country quota playoffs first. You, everyone played in the qualifiers. So if you met a Brazilian team first round, they were one of these top Brazilian teams that they hadn't played off against each other. You just, you know, you just played them. Right. And so we were so close. And then we lost in the qualifier in the last tournament to this top, like a really decent Brazilian team and didn't make it to Atlanta. Oh. And I remember I was so devastated because we were ranked, you know, we were top 10 in the world, but we were ranked so much higher than so many teams that actually did make it to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the Olympics is not about the best teams in the world. It's about the best teams from each country. And so I think my disappointment about missing out on Atlanta was way more significant. Yeah, <laughs> because getting to there, Sydney. There, were, there were three worthy teams. Yeah, and then getting to Sydney, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it was 
yeah, it was a very interesting process. And but I think I played my best volleyball after after I went to the Olympics because yeah. I then played on the AVP for another ten years. Which um which tournament did you win? You have you have a first on your BVB. Yeah. Let me let it's me like put it up. Hanley in um sorry. Yeah, it's night. It was two thousand one. Yeah, and I just so wanted I to know where so that where that was. Where was the tour stop for that? I one? was in Muskegon, Michigan. Oh, cool. So right. yeah, so I was. Linda Hanley asked me to play, which was just amazing because I had been. I was friends with her, and um, you know, played against her so much on the world tour, and we practiced together and played together. And we had a we had a really good season. It was really fun. And then the next year, I took off to have my daughter. Look at that. But that Peter year Holly too. McPeak and Lisa, Lisa and Fantana yeah, Young. That's, that's pretty stacked. What do you say? Yeah, what? We <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. It's like I almost feel like, you know, I got to the Olympics. And for me, that's almost a side note because it was like, okay, we were the third Australian team and there was not really, it wasn't as hard to get to the Olympics as it was. It sounds terrible to say. Say it. <laughs> like, but you know what I mean? It's yes. like we we got there and it was great and we played well and whatever. But I feel like I definitely developed way more as a volleyball player after that. I remember at that year, so that year I played with Linda and we had like a bunch of semifinals and we won a tournament. And, and Patty Dodd actually asked me to come to a, there was like this exhibition thing in some tournament in Finland. And so I went with like Mike went with Mike Lambert and Angenio was there and I was there and playing with Patty. And Mike Dodd said to me, it was the best compliment I ever had. He said, you've turned into a really good volleyball player. And I was like, oh my God, Mike Dodd just said that to me. That man rose me the wrong way, but go ahead. <laughs> but it was like getting to that point and that was when I had developed. And it's like, I almost felt like I earned that. Whereas I didn't as much earn like the... I mean, I did, but you know what I mean? The whole Olympics thing. Yeah. It's like, I felt I'm more proud of my win in the AVP than, I don't know. Well, I don't listen, know does, true, but, does yeah. I think, look, does the AVP not being a, as big a stage for the Olympics help too? Like once you've had a stage that big where no. you're like, no state, this is. This no, is... it's nothing to do with that because okay. I think I played much better volleyball after that. Oh, there's, oh, there's. I, just I being played a better much, player much than... better volleyball. Gotcha. But I remember like I had the game of my life. Like, like I mentioned that game against Jenny and Annette. And I remember walking into that stadium and it was insane. They were like, I think, I can't remember. It was, I think it was 10,000 people, maybe 15. I think pretty sure it was 10 packed. And of course, hometown i mean not hometown but home country like everyone was on our side and it was so loud and i remember standing in the little tunnel about to go out just it just felt so surreal i was just like oh my god yeah and then i was like okay it's just volleyball it's the same game yeah. same you know same court same net everything's the same it's just this is all peripheral yeah it's like a, fight, I, a fighter entrance, right? <laughs> like totally. For, and I yeah. was just, it was sort of an out of body experience because I went out there and I was so not myself. I was just like revving up the crowd and I, I don't play like that. No. But I was just, I fed off the, like the fuel from the energy of the crowd. It's like Hulk and Hogan. Was, <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was really fun and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was just such an amazing experience. Nice. And then, you know, and then I'm, I'm glad that, I mean, I was old though. I mean, I, not old, but. I turned 30 
right after right after the Olympics, the Olympics were in September. My birthday is October 6th and I turned 30 on the day of the Welcome Home Parade in Perth. Oh, come on. So they had a parade for my 30th birthday. Wow. You're like, I was wrong. It is my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Which was super fun. But I mean, I, you know, so I, st I didn't start playing volleyball till high school. I mean, till college, basically. And then ended up, you know, at 30 is when I was when I was playing in the Olympics and then had my best volleyball years, you know, the next 10 years after that. That's freaking mm -hmm. awesome. Who, mm -hmm. who was your, the, the partner in the AVP that you enjoyed playing with the most? I mean, there's, there's the most competitive, there's this or that, but like, as far as like, you just, um, you just enjoyed fellowshipping with them off the court. You, you, um, you, you had some success on the court without, I mean, look, it's so in this world, it's soft as cotton, like to call mm -hmm. someone your favorite player to some people's a slap in the face to the other. I'm not, we're not doing that. Who's your favorite player? So I'm going to give you a couple, <laughs> but I love playing with Linda. Like she is, I don't know if you've ever talked to her. She is no. hilarious. Oh my God. She's so funny. Well, this is the kind of person where I could have talked to her and not know who she was because she talks to everybody the same way from what yeah. I, of what I heard about her. Oh my gosh. I could be, so, I could have been talking to her at Starbucks and not know who, you know, who she right. was. Cause she, yeah. she, she talks to people from, from here and not, and not from up yeah. here like an asshole, you know? So. Yeah. So, I mean, she for sure is like right up there because it was awesome. And then Angie Akers is like one of my best friends. Yeah. Um, you know, we we were super tight. And um, oh, and I played one season with um, with Tammy Leibel, who she used to be Tammy Liley. She was captain of the indoor yeah. team. Yep. And Nobody ran was, a slide like that woman, boy. Oh, my gosh, she's amazing. And she was so fun. And she was such. So I played with her when I was pregnant with Zach. Okay. I was like, I don't know how many months pregnant I was. We ended up playing in Vegas in the um, end of year tournament. And I was definitely several months pregnant because he was born. It was like September and he was born in February. Oh, my goodness. But um, yeah, she had just been playing with Diane Denekashe, who right. then had to drop out because she was pregnant. And then she started playing with me. And then I was pregnant and we, we finished the season out. But she was so dynamic. She would if she picked the ball up. Y'all make it sound like COVID, like there wasn't a guy involved. It's just like, hi, I, I, no. I passed this pregnancy on to you. Yeah, totally. She passed it on to me because Tammy's like, is it me? Did I do that? Did I get I, like, pregnant like that? Who needs a dude, man? Who needs a guy? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but so then, and but like seeing her, how like scramble play, long rally, and she gets up there and bangs a ball. Like so often you would see previously is like scramble play, someone's chipping it, someone's shooting it. But she was like aggressive throughout. And it was just really, I mean, it was really inspirational for me. Because like I'd always it. been kind of a, early on I was kind of a chippy, shooty kind of a player. And then it took, I mean, actually the Australian coaches really helped me change my swing so that I could actually hit. Yeah. But um, yeah, so she was fun. Yeah. Um, and lastly... Wow, we've been this. We've been going at it. Someone, someone's gonna have to pee in a minute. Um, <laughs> showing how old we are, I guess. Um, I had Sharif on the podcast last week mm -hmm. from Qatar, and one of the lines I've been riding the last few episodes is, "Money and success does not change you; it shows who you are." Mm -hmm. um, and going back to some of the people we were talking about, Karch mm -hmm. Karai, um, you, you. I mean, you won an AVP title. And the reason, I, it's more of a statement, but you can follow up. The reason why um, 
I guess these people are revered and, and look up to them, but only from my own personal view, because there's so many people that you might like that I, I don't know. It kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like Dodd, rub kind of rubbed me the wrong way the last time, the last two times I met him. But, but that's different because everybody likes him, and um, and I'm not. I'm gonna leave that alone. But Karch's success only really showed who he was. He's this person that likes to compete, but understands, but understands that he cares deeply about the sport and the people that plays it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you're you're, you're doing great stuff uh, for parenting uh, to be better parents, better relationships. Um, your your AVP crown, your your you you going to the Olympics. These things didn't um, shape who you were um, as as a, as a personality. You know, mm -hmm. psychologically, maybe you have a different approach, and maybe these things give you a mission. Right. Uh, and later on, you're like, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. But it's very, very important to me. Like if you have money, if you don't, if you're the same, if you're like the same person, personality wise, those those are the things that 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 I want to teach my kids. Those are the things that I myself have um, prided myself on, on doing. I've been look, I got money now. But it wasn't always that way, right? I was military service. I actually, I was sleeping on trains for six months. <laughs> you know, my mom kicked me out of the house when I was 18 years old. So, you know, so I've, I've been through, you know, a whole bunch of things where I needed help and I've done things where I've helped people. I've done prison ministries. You know, I used to go to Rikers Island and Brooklyn House and like talk about Jesus <laughs> or talk about sports. So, so the thing, I, the reason why I wanted you on this podcast is because there are so many things about you when I'm just reading your bio or whatever and I'm like, how much different are you now from the Sarah Stratton in 2000 and how much of you is the same? That's a hell of a way to finish this episode. No, 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 but it? I feel like I'm a lot different okay. and I want to be because I, yeah. I mean, I, I think we're going to evolve and we're going to grow. And if we don't, then there's something wrong. Exactly. Evolution. Um, I think I was caught up with, the importance of being a top player of that and I think it was kind of defining like wanting to be a certain way and that like being a volleyball player kind of defined who I was and especially being a top player and I remember I was just horrified when I lose to a team that was ranked way below that we should on paper win you know that we should beat I think I'm way more open and understanding of people and I think that's a lot of the work that I've done you know, with the parenting, like the, the training that I did was really significant. And the positive psychology has helped me to be more optimistic and to understand that, like, to see the good in people. Like, I see people as coming from, like, having their best intent. Like, people are trying their best to do things well. And sometimes their strategies are horrible. Like, sometimes their strategies are terrible. And they want, you know, they want life to be better. And they want, I don't know, they want world peace or they, they just want their life to be better. And, but the strategies they use are sometimes damaging to other people and they want their freedom or they want their, I don't know. It's like, I, I come from this place of understanding that everyone, everyone's trying to meet their needs the best they can. And so I don't think of good guys and bad guys. And I don't, when someone does something that's bad, I'm more trying to understand what's going on for them. And it's not excusing, like I still don't excuse it, but I can understand it. And so I think for me, I've evolved in that way of where I'm kind of, I'm a little kinder to myself 
a little more like growth oriented of and trying to find the balance between self-acceptance and self-growth like being okay with the fact that my body's changed because I'm 50 you know <laughs> and also wanting to feel better and do better and being yeah just so I feel like both of those two things like I can sometimes get caught like I feel like if I'm too stuck in okay I'm fine like self-acceptance I'm just not gonna push myself but if I get too stuck in growth and like having to do better always having to be better then I never get to chill and have peace so I don't know I think I'm way more self-reflective and I suppose just a little calmer and a little less judgmental. I don't know. I don't know if I was terrible, but I'm, I'm definitely, I've been a perfectionist and I'm trying to work on that. That's I'm a recovering perfectionist. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm so like now I'm back loving playing volleyball again, just for fun. And so you're playing sixes. I did play in the six man, but I'm playing, I just play COVID. I, um, during COVID, I went down and got back into volleyball right. like when we couldn't really do anything else. And, and playing on the beach and going down early in the mornings. We, you know, we played 6.30 to 9. And it was so lovely and just appreciating being out there and this beautiful scenery and, you know, the ocean, the sun's rising. It's gorgeous, fun friends. And yeah. that's the thing is like I had so many great connections through volleyball and just rebuilding those and, you know, because I love people. I love, I'm, I'm an extrovert and I love, like, communicating with people. And I think volleyball has, has just been this amazing thread throughout my life. And I'm so grateful for it. And I want to keep doing it till I'm 80, at least. <laughs> yeah, let the nurses wheel us out. I mean, yeah, exactly. this is what you just said was important because there are people who share your same sentiment that might see it um, as an unapologetic flaw. Or some people are like, am I doing? Am I investing too much in this? You know, is this thing that's making me will eventually break me? Um, mm -hmm. But I thought you, I thought you said it really, really well. There, it's okay to be that way, and it's okay to know that the sport that you love also uh, forms these, 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 these emotional bonds, these fellowships. Um, basically, our friend, our, our, the, the people in whom we surround ourselves with. Right? We don't, we don't have a lot of close friends that don't play the sport. Or that, all right. We don't have a whole lot of right. Uh, on me, uh, have, I'm always gonna. For some reason, I'm always gonna have more female friends than male friends. But I always, everywhere I move, I'm like, I gotta have three male friends. And it's cool thing. Like New York, I had three male friends. All three of them played or coached. And here, I have three male friends. All three of them played or coached. So, um, Sarah, well said. Well, well said. Um, is there any? Is there like a particular site? Uh, that people want to know more about what you're doing, the growth mindset and this and that, the website. I know you're, I yeah, know you're, I, need to work. I know My you're revamping that stuff, you know, but I'm, I, I, look, people can just do a Google search on your name and, and, and presume to know a lot about you and they'd be right about 50% of it. Yeah. So my website is, if you know how to spell my name, it's my name.com, but it's also um, weareevergrowing.com. Mm -hmm. And you can, I think I have ever growing sports and ever growing parent education coaching are both little Facebook pages that I have that I haven't been very good about updating, but there's, some, there's a lot of good stuff on there and people can reach out to me there for sure. Dude, I mean, dude, we got to yeah. do this again. Cause I wanted, I wanted to talk about the MBO that just happened. You know oh, what I'm yeah, saying? Like Betsy cool. tying the game with like two aces like that. She, Betsy has that killer look. Betsy Flint, who's yeah, an yeah, Emily yeah. Day's partner, who I thought yeah. would have been a great, would have been a great match for Kerry Walsh. 
because Kerry Walsh, she, uh, like Betsy's kind of like a poor girl's Misty May, where in a sense that if you serve her, she has this mentality like I'm gonna F you up. You know, like physically, psychologically, you're gonna be sorry you ever served me type thing. And I didn't get that, for, with respect, I didn't get that from Brooke Sweat. I didn't get that from Hughes. I didn't get that. And, that, and, and I don't get that from Sponsel. You know, it's um, finding the energy that balances you yeah. and not, you know, that is gonna compliment you and help you actually do better. Yeah. Rather than, and that's, I definitely think that Kerry was missing that. Yep. And I mean, and Brooke's I a great saw, player. And, and, and she but, just needs the right partner. And I recognize that face right away. She's like, yeah. um, when it was 1820, I saw her face. I told my wife, I said, she's going to get an ace. And, and then she got an ace and then she got another one. And I was just like, wow, you called it. Um, all right, shit. I guess that's all I got. <laughs> hey, let's, awesome. we got to do this again. We left so much on the table. Awesome. But, yeah, um, thank but you. But it's crazy because I got to, believe it or not, I have to prepare for another podcast. I got yeah. another one coming up. Um, yeah. Nuss and Clothe, Kristen Nuss and Taryn Clothe. Nice, um, nice. So yeah, for everybody, fun to revisit the old days. And, so, you know, for, so exactly. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Listen, for everybody out there, Cyrus Stratton might love you, but I don't love you. In fact, I can't stand you. In fact, we're out of here, okay? So for all of you on your iPad and iPhone and desktop or Droid or whatever the hell you listen to at the lunch line to listen to this podcast, for Cyrus Stratton, Olympian, not former Olympian, I'm Jason DeBeas. This is episode 105. I'm actually going to hit my music, stay with me, and we're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.